Hello, everyone. This is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the motherfucking podcast. <laughs> That's literally why I gave myself a explicit rating on this podcast, just so I could say stupid shit like that. Um, hello, and thanks for being here today. I've got a pretty rad episode. This is a long one, but it needed to be long because the race was long. So as some of you know, and as I've alluded to here, I was involved in this big expedition race called Expedition Oregon, America's toughest race. And I had a crazy time, and this podcast is dedicating to telling you the stories of that, as well as the lessons that I learned and my what I saw in myself and others. It was just really a, a amazing learning experience for me. Um... And I did that with, I did this episode with Tim Stewart, who is the host of the Mountain Whispers podcast. He lives in Squamish and interviews mountain athletes and tries to distill the lessons that they've brought back from the mountains as well as their amazing stories. And so I was really grateful that he reached out, that he wanted to hear about this expedition race at length. And he was a great um, conversation partner to kind of help me keep the thread and he stayed on the thread of what I was learning and, and the meaning of it all so I was super grateful for that so thanks Tim check out his show Mountain Whispers um, also I just want to shout out to the people you're going to hear me talk about quite a bit on this episode it's Jason, Chelsea and Dan my three of my closest friends who are my friends who are professional adventure racers and my biggest inspiration and the reason that I've done this and they have our relationship has changed my life and I've been so grateful for it so I just want to shout out to those guys um yeah so two hours of this so take your time here folks take your time um as always thanks for listening if you'd like to support this show become a patron on patreon that's the most helpful thing you can do also if you listen on spotify give it a rating or a itunes review always helpful as well and if you're if you have an existential knot in your life and you'd like to work through it then philosophical coaching is just the best freaking way i just love it i had a two-hour session the other day with my philosophical coach peter limberg and it was just so incredibly helpful, somewhere between therapy and life coaching and just like got so much clarity on a huge knot I have in my life. It was so good. I've felt so much lighter ever since. So if you'd like some philosophical coaching, head over to my website, airintheair.com. On the coaching page, there is a link where you can have a free coaching call, which is not a sales call. It's actually a coaching call. We dive right into it. Get big. So without further ado, here is my experience and the hardest thing I have ever done, ever, by a long shot, way harder than I expected, something that totally broke me, my story from America's Toughest Race, Expedition Oregon, with Tim Stewart. Enjoy.
How are you in the air? How are you doing? Thanks. Good. Um, yeah, I've got a little, uh, still recovering from this whole thing, which has been a depletion of my immunity. So bear with me and my voice and sniffles. No worries. I mean, depletion is, is sometimes better for doing a, uh, a breakdown and that you've still got that your body has that somatic signature of exactly uh-huh. how painful, exactly the wisdom that was beaten into you in this uh-huh. expedition race. I'm still carrying it. Yeah. How long ago was it now? Uh, tomorrow will be one month since I finished. And it's still there. Yeah. I guess that checks yeah. out. I mean, my friends who are experienced in doing this kind of thing said that I should expect one week for every day of the race. How many one days? week of recovery for every day of the race. The race was five and a half days. Wow. Okay. Six week recovery for a five day event. Jeez Louise, man. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've given my spring to it. <laughs> so see this thing. What, what is this thing that we're talking about? Okay, so the thing is called America's Toughest Race Expedition Oregon. It's put on by this team called Bend Racing, and they live across the yard from me. They're my best friends. And it was a 310-mile, 40,000-feet avert expedition race. Um, And just to, like, kind of elaborate on what an expedition race is, it's all map and compass orienteering. There is no course. You are given maps and you are given checkpoints on this map. Um, so this particular race was eight stages. So the race organization, basically you have a bin that holds your food and then you have a bin that holds extra gear and then each person on the team, it's co-ed teams of four. You can never be more than a hundred meters from any of your teammates. So every teammate goes to every checkpoint. It's not a stage race and it's not a relay race. It's a, everybody does the entire thing. Um, and as quickly as possible. And the race organization will move your bike box around. So like the first stage of this race was a trek. And then we got to the first TA and we had our bike boxes there. So we take our bikes out of boxes and we put them together and then, the next transition area um, was a paddle leg. And so we put our bikes back into the boxes and we get our pack rafts out of the pack raft bins that we have and we put on the river. And then that, um, that's kind of the, the um, stage element to expedition racing. And so the expedition racing, expedition racing traditionally includes trekking, biking, and pack rafting. There's also typically a ropes, um, a ropes course in every race. Sometimes that's rock climbing. Sometimes it's rappelling. Sometimes it's like uh, different challenge courses. There's also typically orienteering courses inside of it, where it's like a much, like say, there's ten checkpoints within five miles, and you really have to be super accurate with your navigation using the maps to find these various different checkpoints. Um, And in general, people sleep as little as possible. I think this is the part of expedition racing that really no other sport has. It is the sleep deprivation 
and the duration of exertion that separate expedition racing from every other sport in the world. And it was the part that I couldn't quite comprehend. And it was the part that is very difficult to train for or impossible. Um, the winning team finished in like just under five days, I think. And they slept a total of five hours, under which wasn't days. enough, which wasn't enough because the second place team only lost to them by 40 minutes and they slept some 12, 13, 14 hours. So basically the first place team was just like running on fumes, zombie. Zombie Zombies. making shitty decisions, wandering around, getting lost, while the second place team had slept for two hours, had a two-hour, you know, gap to close, but closed it because they're rested or kind of rested. Like, because the rest, the thing is, this level of exertion, like your body doesn't heal at all. Your body only gets worse after you sleep two hours. Like you get up after two hours in the middle of the adventure race, you feel worse than when you went down. For sure. But your brain is just a little bit clearer. That's what the rest in adventure race is. It's literally just for your brain because your body is like, your body's like, I'm going to need six weeks. What's two hours? So the kind of like, you have to override the signal that tells you you need to rest and you have to, you have to use your reason and say, I cannot rest here. There is no rest available. I can't stay here for eight hours. We won't finish the race if we stay here for eight hours, right? Like there's just cutoffs. Like they won't let you keep going. Like the race organization has to keep moving everyone's gear. And if you're like not there, they're not going to just like wait for one team. You're cut. They wait for you, but then you're out of the race. And they're nice. You know, they're not trying to, not everyone is super competitive. So the race org will drive you around and they'll put you, you know, they'll, they'll, help you skip a stage so you can get back up with the leaders and then keep going and you'll go slow and, and, and make the cutoffs, but you just, you don't have time to rest. So you just got to keep going. You just got to fight this instinct inside of you. That's like, I just need a couple hours sleep. You're just like, well, there's, there's no point. Like we, we're going to lay down for 15 minutes, set your alarm for 15 minutes. We're going to wake up in 15 minutes. <laughs> we're going to keep going. And you wake up in 15 minutes and your head is just a little bit clearer and your joints are a bit achier and you take two ibuprofen and acetaminophen and you can keep going. What's the inertia like in trying to get up after that 15 minutes? I imagine that like that's when the the body is just screaming at you to be like, don't you dare get up, Ari. Like you fucking let well, me rest. Well, it's interesting because it depends what temperature it is. You know, it's like... You sleep in the late afternoon, it's nice and sunny. Your body might say, oh, you should lay here. But like, there was a night where, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm foreshadowing here, but like there was a night where I just like, we stopped in the snow and we were just so fucked that we were just like, we just laid down. You know, Laban, he just like sat on his backpack and took his bivy sack and put it over his head instead of like giving, getting into his bivy. He just put it over his head and he just slumped over sitting there. And we slept there for 45 minutes. We had, you know, intentions of 15 minute stop. And like we slept through our alarms and like woke up and like it was 45 minutes later. So all of us are completely and totally shivering. 
were fucking frozen. And so the inertia was like, there had never in the entire race, we had never transitioned from rest to on trail faster. Cause we were just like, everyone was just like up, move, go. Now we got to go. I'm freezing. I'm go, move, go, go, go. So it just yeah. kind of depends where you are. It's like, you know, it's, you don't always have a super comfortable place to sleep. I mean, at that point, I feel like the body's in alignment of being like, yeah, you like, you would get more rest from staying here, but uh, the exposure is also going to kill you. Or well, I mean, that's be- another, that's a, exactly, that's another element to expedition racing is like the exposure, like the clock is ticking. You just can't be out there. You can't live like that forever. So like, you're better off being like the faster you are, the safer you are. And, you know, that's one of the things like Killian Jornet, like one of the world's best trail runners has proven. He's like, yeah, like the amount of shit you need if you're going to be out there for eight hours is a lot. But like, you can just run the whole thing and not stop like two water bottles and four bars and I'm out of there, you know, and he's proven things are possible that were previously unthought possible because he can just do them so fast. And so 315 miles, like self-propelled, you know, typically you, you take a lot longer than a hundred hours to do that. But if you can do it in a hundred hours, you don't need as much shit and it's going to hurt a lot more intensely, but for less time. Cool. So you, you see the scene, you're foreshadowed. What walk me through some of the key moments in that, yep. in that race, kind of the different acts on it. I, I, mm-hmm. um, so for like framing on why I'm, I'm interested to record this conversation is, uh, similar to what we're talking about, about the, the, opportunities for transformation within these events and that testing one's limits is often the best way we discover the self or uh, in some ways, if we're very, very fortunate, transcend the self. Yeah. There's definitely some of that in here. And I think to just, just to set it up, I think that For me to set up my own learning experience and my own transcendence in this event, in this experience, I'd have to tell you that, like I said, my next door neighbors who are my best friends, Jason and Chelsea and Dan, their longtime best friend who lives in the next house down the street, um, they're professional adventure racers. They put on this race. They have won some of the biggest races in the world. They've been doing this for 15 years and they're really, really good at it. Like I mentioned before our recording, my friend Chelsea just won the world championships of 24 hour endurance mountain biking because she basically just adventure raced the two-time world champion who was favored to win into an absolute pulp because going overnight and going through the dark and dealing with pain and just continuing no matter what is the name of expedition racing. And Chelsea is one of the best in the world. And so I was, uh, I knew she would win, but, (laughs) but I haven't been doing this very long. Like this is, I, I'm a stunt man, Tim. I'm like, I'm like balance on the rope, go fly really far, do tricks, do flips, but like being really fit in a deep endurance, um, is something that I've only recently picked up and I've only picked it up because I've been so inspired by these people. Um, my garage is 
outfitted as the fitness gym. We call it the pain cave. Uh, it's got a crazy treadmill that goes to 40 degrees. It will just kill you and bike trainers and paddle ergs and all kinds of things. So, so that's kind of like, these are the, like literally like my, likely my three closest friends are like professionals and so the emotional setup here is that like, I want to make them proud, right? That I want to try on their sport, that I want to like learn about them through trying it. Because I've been around when they come back from these huge races and they're just shells, you know, they're just totally shelled and, and you know, Chelsea can't squeeze anything with her hands because she's been on a bike for 24 hours or like, you know, so... I've seen it. Um, and I also kind of have wondered like, how hard is this? And how hard am I? Like, how strong am I? Like how much resilience do I actually have? What would I, what would it do to me? You know, I've heard all of these crazy stories, you know, like 10 years ago, Dan having a complete psychotic break in the jungle of Ecuador in the middle of a race, totally sleep deprived, you know, and then they had this eco challenge thing in Fiji that was like filmed by Amazon that was like watched millions and millions and millions of times where on the first episode, Bend Racing just comes out to an incredible lead. And then Dan gets heat stroke and just like has this complete and total break, physical and mental, emotional break where he's just like done. So I've seen these things. I've heard the stories. And so I, um, it was such a question mark for me. I was like, Oh, it's so crazy. Like what a stupid thing to do. And I just like, I honestly, I used to make fun of them. I used to make fun of them. I used to tell Jason that, you know, if you can't do what other people can, you'll do what other people won't. And that's what, I, that's what I've called expedition racing. Um, because I've always focused on doing the stunty things that other people just can't do. They just can't do a double backflip there. They just can't do, they just can't walk across that rope. They just can't do it. Um, so, but I've come to find out that expedition racing is very much, uh, those guys can do things that other people cannot do. So I've uh, <clears throat> been severely humbled and it's been awesome for our relationship because I feel like I've seen them clearly through my own experience. Um and realized how deep that rabbit hole goes. So that's just like the, that's just like the kind of the emotional framework here, the setup but here. Before we talk about that, there is, there is something true to that endurance sport being what people won't do versus can't. And that, um, what, it, what it reminds me of is in, in track and field, they talk about uh, distance runners are made, sprinters are born. Like, no amount of training can get you to the top level of sprinting. You either have those fast switch muscle fibers or you don't. Mm. Whereas you have to be, you have to put in a lot of suffering. Like, and, and there's a lot more entry to, to make it into like, let's say the endurance sports. And, and I think mm. it applies to stuntmen or, or a lot of those extreme sports. You have to have a little of coordination and athleticism to just even make it to the start line of that mm -hmm. game. Agreed. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's interesting. I just um, had this guy, Max King on my podcast the other day. He's one of the top trail runners in the world. And he just like, I'm like, Max, you look like a runner. He's like, I actually don't really look like a runner. He's like, I look like a wrestler. And I was like, 
I just like looked around at the other top level trail runners. I'm like, oh, those guys look like runners. They're like, they look Ethiopian. They're like six, five and like really lanky. And like, I'm like, oh, I get it. Max is like short and stocky and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So, but yeah, like the conditioning that you need for endurance sports is, is everything. And, and it's funny because Dan, he's like a very unassuming endurance athlete. You know, he just kind of looks like, like dad bod. I don't know how else to describe it, but he's like just unbelievable endurance athlete just blows the wheels off of people. It's crazy. So yeah, I, I it, there is some serious truth to that, but to give you like the, the acts here, the drama, let's get into the drama here. Dun, dun, dun. So this expedition race, uh, expedition, Oregon, it started at this place, Diamond Lake, which is in the mountains here in Oregon. And it started at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. start gun. And it started on a trek that was 12 miles, had like a couple thousand feet of vert, and it was snowing. And there was snow on the ground. So everyone was like, had snowshoes on their back, at least like ready to use snowshoes, trekking poles and snowshoes. Um. And for the race, like you have to filter all of your own water. The race organization provides no water, no food. So it's self-reliance, team, team reliance. Um, so start gun goes off and we go running through this thing, right? And just to give you like my team, I gotta I gotta give you the roster here because that's an integral part of the story as well. So I am with our friend Laban. Laban is an incredibly talented navigator and has recently gotten into adventure racing. And it's his demeanor that makes him so good at this. He is incredibly calm and he is the most resilient person I've ever met to other people's opinions and decisions. Other people do say, think things around him. And he has this like ability to have such a steadfast confidence in his own decision-making. It's not even a confidence in his own decision-making. It's like a, he's just not that swayed by other people's decisions, like the tracks in the snow. Okay. And joining us is Marissa, who's a professional snowboarder. Um, she completed Expedition Oregon last year with Laban. And then joining us around out the team is my friend, Timmy Evans, who is a physical therapist and a world-class mountain biker. He's been a mountain biker forever and ever, and he's so good. And he um, is a great bike mechanic. So he's like bike guy. He's also a runner. He went to Mexico and did the 50 mile race in the Copper Canyon. Um, physical therapist, like perfect person to have on the team, right? Also, Laban, Laban's younger brother, his name is Austin Smith. He's one of the world's top pro snowboarders. Um, Laban is one of those people who's naturally talented, athletic, and also unassuming. Um, his brother is like that. He's just like way too good at everything and just like has crazy balance. And like, he's got that. He's got that thing. Okay. So that's the four of us. We're team Blue Jay. Um, 
Laban's father passed away soon before their first expedition race last year and his nickname was blue jay so they went with team blue jay and so we carried that kind of memory on into this year's race laban is our head navigator i'm the team captain and i'm the backup nav and so in this first trekking stage we go out of the gate everyone's kind of like burning super hot and running and we kind of like let them go ahead we're like yeah and Laban's like, I think we need to be like going this direction. And so we just like start breaking trail in the snow. And sure enough, we're like one of the first teams to the first checkpoint because we took a nice line thanks to Laban. At that point, we had been uh, passed by the top teams. You know, like one of the number two ranked team in the world is, is racing this race. Um, as well as Team Bend Racing, their own team is also in the race, which is made up of you know, some of the highest level adventure racers, Alex and Lars and Corinne and Jean-Yves that's bend racing and they're super high level expedition racers and also stayed in my house for a week before the race. So they, I got to know them and they, they gave me lots of beta and, and tips and things. So, uh, we became friends. So it was nice to have them on the course at the second checkpoint. Laban, we're following the tracks basically because we're in the snow now, right? And the number two team in the world is ahead of us, and so is Bend Racing. And so there's tracks in the snow. Most people are following those tracks. And at some point, Laban says, nah, I think we need to go this way. And so again, we start breaking trail. And then Laban gets like, you know, at some point, we're breaking trail for quite some time, and the woods get pretty thick, and we're having to like bushwhack pretty hard. And, and Laban says, Harry, I don't know, man. Like, I think we're like almost there, but I'm a little concerned that we don't see any tracks here. And we keep going and he shows me on the map and like his nav looks good to me. And I'm like, let's keep going. And, and sure enough, there's the checkpoint and we're the first, we're the first team to it. There's no tracks anywhere. So it just goes to show the name of the game is like, you know, Jason put it in two sentences. He says, go the right way and don't stop right? That's, that's the essence of expedition racing. Go the right way and don't stop. And it's like the faster you can go, the better, but like go the right way and don't stop. So if you ever are going the wrong way, then you're going, you're going to, you're going to have to make that up. So that felt so good. Like off to the, the start of the race, like within the first two hours, we've like, you know, made smart plays that have put us in front of the a couple of the really top world teams felt great. And it's like, I've, I've trusted, I just trust Laban's nav really strong. He's so good. So um, at some point it starts like night falls and it starts snowing, like full on like backcountry skiing snowing. Like, like I've got this like CLE running hat on that's just got like two and a half inches of snow on it. Like you, I got to keep clearing the bill of my hat because it's blocking my headlamp like that much snow. It's like pounding. And this is in May. Like this is, this is mid May. So the weather has just been the, I'll just foreshadow the horror to come that it's like the late snow low in Oregon, like unprecedented by my calculations. Um, not for 
our snow to stay, but like to get fresh snow at the elevations that we got it in May is just like, I've never heard of such things, you know, 2,500 feet, like low. So it was puking and we were in our zone. We were loving it because we're all like, we're all skiers and snowboarders. And so it was actually the first night was quite fun. Um, we got to that first TA and we put our bikes together and we started riding and we knew that we are the fastest mountain biking team, not as far as like going up, but as far as going down, like the best mountain bikers, we are definitely the four best mountain bikers in the race. And so, uh, we're all on full suspension mountain bikes with, you know, <laughs> dialed. Um, and so we start this bike leg and it's like night and we're night riding and it's raining and it was just really fun, honestly. And we were like, yeah, the Jason who had set the course just did an incredible job in making it scenic and aesthetic and putting, you know, this, I remember this one checkpoint Four pro CP four pro. It was like on the edge of this waterfall. So you just like walk right up to this giant cliff with a huge waterfall. And you're just like, yes, this is where we should be in the middle of the night in the rain. This is so cool. Um, and, you know, lots of really big descents on double track, hauling ass, you know, Microsoft screensaver, like through the rain. Um, below the, so you're below the snow line at this point. You're not having to navigate mountain bikes through, through snow? Well, they, yep. At this point, we're not in the snow. Not yet. But they actually made this uh, checkpoint at the Umpqua Hot Springs, which is this notorious hot springs in Oregon. It's so beautiful. It's like these mineral clamshells that cascade down this hill into the Umpqua River, which is so beautiful. And it's like, and so we got to the hot springs, got naked and soaked in the hot springs in this middle of this expedition race. And there's Jason. And so it's like, it's cool. It was so cool to do Jason's race, you know, like I, like I set up before, it's like, to see him out there, it was like super special and our connection is really strong. And so, and he also knows me so well and I'm like, oh, I'm getting in the hot springs. You know, there was a, so basically for that checkpoint, there was a 15 minute minimum. So if only one person on the team would go into the hot springs, they had to wait 15 minutes. They had to be in the hot springs for 15 minutes. And if two people, seven, seven and a half, right. Right. And I was like, oh, I'll go in there for 15 minutes. No problem. Like, let me, let me in. And it was like nearly four o'clock in the morning at this point, deep, deep, deep night, you know? And so there was no one there, which is great. Cause it's usually mobbed. And so I'm hanging out and Jason's like, okay, Eric, your time's up. I'm like, yeah, it's all right though. He's like, no, Eric, get the fuck out of the hot springs and get on the course. Like, go come on. I want you. I'm like cheering for you. Go. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So it was nice to have his encouragement to have him out of the course. And, um, so from there we go on the North Umpqua trail, which is like this ripping mountain bike trail that has a ton of climbing. And then the descents are just world-class, like whatever you ride in Squamish, it's like side cut into a huge mountain with a river below that's flowing and just perfect dirt. And just like, Oh, it was unreal. And so at this point, that's like pre-dawn, 
again, to get to the hot springs, we made this perfect nav error that actually was the best choice possible. And it just got us there so fast. So we we're just like, again, in front of the leaders and the leaders who are just like these incredible fit endurance athletes, like they eventually catch us right as we top out on the climb and we start bombing down and I'm just like riding their ass, just like, let us by like, <laughs> cause they're, they're going slow and they're on their XC bikes. And we're just like ready to just like, just bomb. So what's the was, loading on the, the bikes at this stage? Are you like backpacks plus like something on the, the handlebars or what's that like? Yeah. So it's pretty much like a light bike packing setup. It's like, you know, there's handlebar bags and there's frame bags and little gas tanks and under saddle bags. And so we've all got it, you know, cause your mandatory equipment is not nothing, you know, you got to carry it at all times. You have to have a GPS locator. You have to have a bivy sack for each person. You've got to have a emergency blanket for every person. You've got to have a shelter, which we use a bothy bag, which is a crazy little lightweight tent that doesn't have poles. You just pull it over yourselves and you just sit there and you guys are the tent poles. It's pretty hilarious. It's a little hot box thing. And um, so you've got to have all this stuff and first aid kit and yada, yada. So on the bikes, yeah, we try to get as much of it off of our backs as possible. So yeah, we're not on full, like just a fanny pack in my bike shoes. We're like pretty loaded. Um, but at any rate, uh, so nice, like pre-dawn. And this is one of the special, most special things about an expedition race is, you know, that's a trail that I would go ride, but never at 5.15 a.m. would I be at the top right? Like the sun is like rising and the valley is full of fog and we're at the top. Like you just, you just don't go to those places at that time, you know? And it's also rare that like you would be going deep into the sunset while you climb up and out of the mountains, you know? So it's the expedition race. It takes you to places you yeah, hypothetically, you might go, but you wouldn't go there in that way. You wouldn't go from that direction. And you definitely wouldn't be there at that time. So that was one of the most special things about that. Um, the lighting and the atmospheric conditions that you experience, just unbelievable. And that the was one of the things. Energetic the conditions as well. Like the race mode, the adrenaline, it oh, just yeah. like, it, it, it adds to that whole surrounding experience. Uh, yeah. And with the team too, you're like, you're frothing, you're feeding off of each other. You're caring for each other. It's like, you really get into a deep familial sense there because you're really relying on each other. And it's not like just going out with your buddies, you know, like when we go out, like, yeah, we take care of each other. But like, when we go on a ride, I'm not like, Hey Tim, like it's been an hour since I've seen you eat. What have you eaten? You know, like, like the, the level of attention that you have when you're like expedition racing, you're like literally feeding each other. You're literally making sure each other is like fed. You're, you're paying attention to the time since the last time your buddy took ibuprofen. Like there's like these little things you really get super intimate. You become much more intimate with your team than you typically would on just a day adventure, or even an overnight, or even like, even when you go like on a couple day overnight, you still like, you take care of each other, but you're not like really, really, really paying attention proactively to everybody's nutrition, hydration, emotions, like the, the expedition race team, like the teamwork is absolutely definitive of this experience. You just like team actually doesn't do it. And it like becomes like family. 
right? Um, or it like puts all team in all caps or something. I don't know, but it's like it it seems to transcend what is typical for people to experience teamwork because typically teamwork, what do we do? Like we don't do things that are that hard. Like there's just nothing as hard as a fucking expedition race. Not that I've found anyways. Yeah. To be sleep deprived as fuck. You're just literally like you ride the edge of psychotic break. Like you ride the edge of not being able to manage your emotions, not being able to like think straight, not being able to communicate clearly. Like you just ride these edges of, of exhaustion and exertion that you just have never seen before. And so the, the level of teamwork is magnified by the exertion. And the stakes. And it's like the, the very real danger and also competition stakes. What, what's at hand here? Which is another thing. It's like, you know, as, as I was chasing the number two team in the world down this sick mountain bike trail where I'm like buzzing their back tire, like, Hey, Hey guys, Hey, this is your first time adventure race team right behind you. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Hey, Hey. And Laban being the like calm and sturdy leader of our team that he is. And when I said initially in my, in my little roster, I said that I was the team captain. That's literally written down, but everybody knows that Laban is like the leader through and through and through, right? He calls me off. He says, Ari, come on, stop. We got to eat something. I was like, no, but they're right here. I want to like, I want to. <laughs> He's like, no, come on, stop. We got to eat. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So yeah, that's another thing you have to manage is this race energy, this, this, like this frothing race energy that I just want to like kill. And because the reality is I've never done anything this long. And so at this point, how far into the race am I? Uh, 12 hours, 10% into the race. And I'm like ready to redline to, to just rub it in the nose of these pros So Laban Our hours is 10% is, is just absolutely crazy. The limit of my <laughs> in, endurance is like races has been like the max is like six hours, you know? Mm-hmm. And what's, what's challenging about that is like, it's the first three hours, even four hours is always an art of being like, I feel so great, but I know I need to, to dial it back for it. When it's 12 hours is 10%. That's a completely different game. Exactly. And you also know that you're, you're, you're never going to have a, a, a real rest. Mm. Like you're not going to have a real rest until we're done with this thing. So you're 10% now, but like, and at this point, you know, after the first night, we had probably climbed 5,000 vert and gone 60 miles, you know, 12 of them on foot and 40 plus on bikes. And we've been exposed to like crazy snowfall and like rain for hours and hours, you know? So it's like the exposure is already, it's a clock, that clock is just ticking and ticking. So after we get to the, you know, the, the second TA is to get onto the river because we're about to do 22 miles of class three plus whitewater 
on the North Umpqua in tandem pack rafts. Luckily, it's a river that I was a guide on for more than three years and have ran probably 20 something times. Um, and so I know how to steer a boat and read whitewater and that kind of stuff. So, um, and that was just like, honestly, the, the highlight of the race. Um, it was so fun. It's just like such beautiful water, such a beautiful place. These huge rock towers that come out of the mountains there. Um, the, em the water is this emerald green because it's right near Crater Lake, which is the deepest lake in North America and was this huge volcano that when it exploded, it covered the surrounding area with like hundreds of feet of ash. And so the ash makes the earth very fertile. And it also, there's a mineral in the ash that makes the water green. And so the whole area is just lush and vibrant and green and the water's green and beautiful and it's clear and like, you know, we use these bee-free water filters and you just put it in the bottle and just drink it right out of the thing. And it's like, tastes great. And so it's pretty dreamy, but as everybody knows, like being in a cold ass river for four hours makes you tired. And so when we got off of the river, we had already gone all night, no rest, gotten in the river and ran 22 miles of white water. And then we get out and have to put our bikes back together and roll up our pack rafts and put all the stuff away and get our food ready for the next thing. And it's like, it's interesting when one of the things, one of the parts of expedition racing is that the transition area is part of the race. So it's literally you're putting your bike together is part of the race, right? So like you're sleep deprived and tired and now you have to like, reassemble your very important components and hopefully you don't have to really like take the derailleur off and like but like i was having to like do some pretty serious adjustments to my handlebars to get the bike to fit into the box and because i have really wide enduro handlebars and blah 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 and so like it's a it's a funny element so at that transition area we slept for 45 minutes this is mm. early afternoon and at 3 30 in the afternoon we put on to stage four Stage four was slated to be a 60 mile bike ride with 11,000 vert climbing. It was on the race documentation. It said that we could expect it to be anywhere from 10 to 14 hours. It was a bike ride up and out because we had pack rafted down and down and down all the way to 800 feet. And we were going to basically ride our bikes up and through the mountains way back uphill. So just before starting that, what was the, what was that first sleep like or waking up from the first day? Are you still on adrenaline phase at that? Or were you starting to feel the fatigue at that point? Yeah, I was tired. I was tired. It was obvious in the transition area that I was tired and I was kind of dragging my feet and I actually learned something about myself there. And when we went on this, next stage, I talked to Laban. I said, Laban, I think I just need to know when we're going to rest so that I can know it because I'm kind of, I get into the transition area and I'm trying to simultaneously rest and do my things. I'm like trying to like emotionally just like, kind of like check out for a minute and like physically like sit down. And that's not what the top teams do. The top teams come in, they do their shit immediately as quickly as possible. And if they're going to sleep, once everything is ready to go, they sleep, they wake up, 
they get on and they go. But Laban is like the leader through and through of our team. And he's making a lot of the strategic decisions. And he's also like, he's a top level adventure racer at this point. He knows how to do it. Um, and so he just wants to keep going. And he's also just so tough, man. He's so tough. So I basically needed to know that, but, and I learned that at the second transition area. So basically we put on in our like bike gear, right? Cause we're like, oh, we'll probably hit some snow. And you know, the first five miles of this ride are just as steep as, as mountain roads as you get, you know, like it's as steep of a road that a two wheel drive car can go up. And so we're just paddling up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And like at 3,300 feet, we like run into snow. I'm like, oh no, it can't be this low. Like, oh my God, looking at the map, if we're hitting snow at 3,300 feet, this is like, we are in for a nightmare. And sure enough, like by 4,200 feet, we're post-holing, we're pushing our bikes through snow. that point you know the afternoon and evening and through sunset our morale was pretty high even though we were doing what was just inarguably idiotic bullshit of pushing our bikes through snow we're also post holing because we're following the top teams in the world right and they've gone this way and this is the way to go and we are now post holing which stepping in these post hole tracks right like if you can imagine your gait as you push your bike through snow as you break trail your gait is narrow you're taking small steps and you're also towing in towards your bike you're kind of leaning over onto the handlebars of your bike and you're pushing so your gait is really strange so for us to follow that we have to make this strange like little do this like twister move to just like step into their footsteps right and it was only a couple hours of doing this before I started to notice my IT band on the outside of my left knee. And I was like, Hmm, what's that? Hmm, what's that? And that was my body saying, I don't like this gate. I don't like this mechanic. This is not the mechanic for me. And I was also getting tired. Right. So like my ability to like really be conscious of my mechanic was running out. Um, but we get through that first huge push, right? We probably did seven miles pushing our bikes in the snow there. And we go down this huge downhill, super muddy. We all get soaked. Now, by the time we get to the bottom of it, it's totally dark. It's cooling off. We're all really tired from just a huge climb. And we know that the next thing is another huge climb and it's going to be another, it's going to be another um, snow adventure. And we all kind of like are getting ready to grin and bear that. And we're looking at the map and there's like a number of different ways we could go. But the way that we picked the first route was like, it was pretty direct, but it was high. The other way was like a much less known. It involved a lot of bushwhacking um, that would have been pushing our bikes without trail, which is like, you know, bushwhacking with your bikes is not a super easy thing to do, especially in such a vegetated area of the world. But the one thing that like kind of swayed us was like all of these tracks, right? Like the number two team in the world has like decided to go this way. 
And we're like, well, that's like a hard, that's a hard thing to, um, to weigh against. And like I mentioned, Laban has an amazing ability to just think clearly, regardless of what other people are doing, regardless if they're the number two team in the world, he doesn't care. And I think that without my influence, he would have gone the other way. And I think that I said, I think we can go that way. It's got a lot of unknowns. There was no tracks on it. We would have been the first team going there. We would have broken trail ourselves. But I said, look, like breaking trail is incredibly hard. Even if we have to do it for a couple of miles, we're only four of us breaking trail. And there's eight of us in front. Like I could just like kind of tell by reading the tracks and knowing who was who the top teams were that there was at least eight in front of us, if not 12, if not 16. Also, because I watched them leave the transition area before us. Um, there was no tracks on the other route and all of the tracks went to the way that we went. We started pedaling up these roads and at some point we hit snow and we start post-holing again. And a little ways into that, Laban says, hey guys, so I'm looking at the map and I just want you to know that at this rate, my estimation is that we're going to be doing this for the next eight to 12 hours. And I just like want you to know what we're in for. And at that point, I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I was expecting too. There's no way out but through. We ended up pushing our bikes for between 25 and 30 miles through the snow. Halfway through that, I had my first what felt like a chisel inside of my knee being hit by a hammer when my IT band like got pinched in my knee joint and it just like dropped me to the ground. Um, Tim, physical therapist was like, yep, this is probably what's happening. You're experiencing IT band syndrome, which is notorious for being one of the most painful things you can deal with. And uh, at this point we are so far out, like literally behind us, there is 10 miles of post hole that we have just gone through. And in front of us, there is unknown at least 10, if not 12, if not 15, if not 20 miles of post-holing through snow in front of us. So this stage that we prepared to be between 10 and 14 hours ended up taking us 22 hours. So we were a bit underfed. Um, we were a bit underdressed. And broke us in every way. All three of us, except all, all three of us, except Laban. Laban is like, uh, hard for me to describe his resilience. Um, but the three of us, it broke us, um, towards the end of it. I became incredibly angry. I had just like so much anger and it was fixated on Jason Jason is my best friend, the race director. And the judgments I had going through my head were that this course is not vetted. Jason doesn't know how much snow is up here. Right. And this is like unsafe. And my own like risk assessment, risk tolerance had been violated. And so I was having a really strong anger reaction. And I could see it but I, had, I did not have the capacity to like soothe it. And I told Laban as much. I was like, man, I just have 
fucking steam coming out of my ears right now. I'm just so angry. I just can't, I like can't get a hold of it. And it was like for a number of hours on end, I was just so mad. I was like, this is so stupid. This is the like worth, this is worthless. I would never do this. If you would have told me that this is what it was, I would have never done this. I had all kinds of judgments that like Jason has no idea. He doesn't have a snowmobile. There's no way he can rescue anyone out of here. He'll just call 911 and search and rescue is a fucking shit show. It's just like, ugh, all this stuff. These are all the thoughts and judgments going through my head. Right. And this like culminates where like in the man, three, four o'clock in the morning, we're at like the highest point of this. We're at 5,000 feet and the snow is knee deep. And the thing, you know, we've been following tracks for eight hours and, the last thing that I wanted to see, and when I saw it, it like struck terror into my fucking heart, was headlights, headlamps coming the opposite direction. And I was like, oh God. Because the thought of like, we have to go out this way, and like, there's teams in front of us, and that's fine. Like, we're all like going out this way. And on the other side of this is like our transition box with all of our food and dry clothing in it. And like, that's going to be some kind of reprieve and then to see teams that are faster than us to be coming back the way that we're going. Oh my God. I was just instantly like stricken with the fear of God. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. I can feel, I can feel the, the reverb. Cause I'm like, that. if we have to go back the 10 miles through the post holding, that's going to be absolutely awful. And then we're going to be in the middle of fucking nowhere. And we still have to go out another way breaking trail and post holing until we can find the way. Like if this first try doesn't work, then we're like looking at doubling our route distance and time. And we're not, we don't have food for this shit. Like we're already underfed for this mission. So it was this team from Canada and they had, they told us this story that they had just experienced, which was they had saw Team Eastwind, which is this legendary team from Japan, one of the top teams in the world. And they were like, Eastwind is totally lost. Like they have no idea where they are. And Team Bend Racing and, and, um, is the, the number two team in the world. What's their, what's their name? It'll come to me. Um, they're like kind of lost too. And like everybody's in bad shape. And I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> These like top teams are like fucked up and they're like in front of us. And this whole thing is like, doesn't sound good. Laban, perfectly calm, you know, talking to the Canadian guys and the Canadians are like, yeah, we're going to go back this way. And then we're going to go up this way and through there. And Laban's like, mm, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're going to keep going this way. And sure enough, we leave the Canadians there. And then in two kilometers, we see East wind, the Japanese team, and they have this tiny little ultralight two-person tent they've got four people in it right their four bikes are outside of it so they're just like getting asleep because that's expedition race like kind of standard operating protocols like if it's night and you get super lost and you don't know what to do you need to fucking sleep like just lay down <laughs> um, and this is right after we had had that story that i told you in the foreshadowing which was we got tired we sat down on our backpacks for what was supposed to be 10 minutes and we woke up 45 minutes later shivering and started hauling ass um so we had had a little little sleep in inside of this trek that was supposed to be a mountain bike ride <laughs> this trek that was supposed to be a mountain bike ride um so at some point we just keep going and like at 
in the middle of this trek, like Timmy and Marissa, I think we're commiserating about their disdain for this experience and how stupid it was and how they wanted out of it and how they wanted to quit. And Laban had just none of that. Laban was like, yep, carry on. In expedition racing, they call it a death march. Sometimes you get into what's called a death march, and that is where it is endless, and it sucks, and it's fucking awful, and the only way out is through. It's a death march. And so I experienced a death march through the snow pushing my bike with an IT band injury. This is still like just chiseling into your knee every step at this stage? So basically, at this point, the knee is constantly throbbing. And if I let my posture, if I like, if my hips go forward too far, then it kind of like tensions my IT band. And then as I step onto my left knee, it'll like twang the IT band across the tibia. And it's like, that's the moment that it's just like, that's the chisel being hit. Ding. And it's just like this lightning pain. And so that happened probably three or four times on this where it just like drops me to the ground. Like I step onto my left leg and it so much pain that I just can't bear the weight and I just fall into the snow. Every time I like get up immediately knowing that like the only way out is through, like don't sit here. Like every single step gets you closer to like being the fuck out of here. Um, but you know, pre-dawn, we basically get into this dynamic, the energetic that I felt was that you know, the route finding is unsure and we've been following tracks for a really long time. And we've had this scary experience of the Canadian team experiencing the other top teams being lost and unsure. And now we're following a track that is not super certain and it's nighttime. So it's really difficult to see where you are. Um, it's not impossible, but we basically have also gone off of the detailed map. And we've gone, like, we're having to look at the overview map to keep track of where we are, which is very vague. That's incredibly difficult to navigate in that way. And we're also on this road. And it's just like all of the navigation things were quite difficult. And so Laban, you know, he's amazing in so many ways. And he's also just incredibly honest. And he's like, well, you know, I can't be a million percent sure I'm on the overview map. I mean, look at how zoomed out we are. But I think we're right here. And like, if we could keep walking another 5k, I can confirm it. But it's like, we're having kind of like an energetic mutiny happening and I'm in the middle of it. Laban's leading and these, the two are behind me. And I'm like, you know, at some point I tell Laban, I'm like, Laban, I need, I need you to tell me something. Like I, I gotta be able to tell these guys something, you know, like it's, it's coming apart. It's coming apart here. Um, It's a difficult position to be in. And the team dynamics of expedition racing, as I said, are like everything. And when things are so incredibly hard for everybody and the morale is so low, it's easy to commiserate and it's easy to like, you know, sympathize that like, this is awful. I don't want to do this anymore. And you're like, you don't? Because I fucking don't want to do this anymore either. But uh, the sun comes up, you know, and... Again, find ourselves in just this 
most ridiculously beautiful place and sunrise that you would never be, especially with a fucking mountain bike. Like if I had my skis on, fair enough, but never with my mountain bike would I want to be there. Um, just such a beautiful sunrise and incredible view and things start warming up and that boosts any team's morale. Um, it's amazing actually noticing how human we are and how tied to nature we are like literally deep night is depression. Sunrise is like relief and like the warmth of the sun in your face is just everything. And it's just like, it's incredible to see how human we are, that we're just our circadian rhythms and our mood is just intertwined. Even when you're on the tail end of just some heinous ass death march, like sun on your face, like buoys your spirit in a way that you would have never imagined. Is that like a, a gentle reprieve and that you, you, you still feel just how painful it is and that you've still got a long way that you're kind of scared of, scared of, but you, you can feel the magic of the world or is that like a full on like hit download of this is it? Oh no, 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 no. It's not a full download. Nope. Nothing we have, uh, we have uh, worn ourselves ragged on the uh, whatever bandwidth we had to have full download. No, no, no. We don't have full download ability now. We can be like, Wow, this is kind of amazing that we're out here. I would never be out here with, without this stupid adventure race that I'm doing. But uh, we are out here. You're able to forget for just a moment of just how miserable the experience, the suffering is. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it doesn't take away the physical pain. At this point, I was in a lot of it. I was using the bike as some kind of like crutch almost. It's like my walker. I'm like pushing on the handlebars and just wishing I could ride the fucking thing. But at some point we get through the snow and towards the tail end of this is when the anger was just flowing so hot, man. The faint, the flames of anger were just so, so hot. And I was just so mad at Jason for his, for my, you know, my judgment was that it was neglectful and, and dangerous for him to send the race in the direction that he did. Um, and I knew that he was going to say, well, why'd you go that way? Like there was obviously a better way to go. You should have gone the other way. You shouldn't have gone so high. You knew you had the map. Like you knew that you're going to 5,000 feet that way. Why'd you go that way? I knew he was going to say that. You have to imagine that the, like the 17 year old Jason was like a very enthusiastic He's an identical twin, and him and his brother are the most adventurous people on the planet. And he was the kid who was like, okay, first we're going to do this, but first got to do a headstand for three minutes. Okay, Then you put your head on the baseball bat. you got to do 10 twirls and then try to walk the slack line. Only once you've completed the slack line can you put a cup of water on your head, and you have to balance walking back across the slack line with the water on your head. If you spill any, you have to start over. Then we're going to do it, and then when we get done, we chug three beers, and then blah, blah. It's just like he's just like – for his whole life, he's just like created these like, how do we just have more adventure in our lives? How do we do things that are harder? Right. And, and it's the most amazing thing. He's like such an incredible person to be around. And like, he's so inspiring because of this, just this incessant drive inside of him to make things more adventurous. But in my head there, I was like, I have reached the irresponsible limits of Jason Magnus's 
desire to make things adventurous. And this is fucking stupid. I should have never been out here. This is like way more risk than I was willing to take. My body is injured because of this. Like I was just so overtired too. Like at this point, we've been going for 50 hours, you know, 40, 48 hours. And I just like, I couldn't control my emotions. I had a huge sob that lasted for a long time as I rode my bike down the hill. Um, as we came into the TA, we, the, the, tran- the next transition area was at the bottom of this massive, beautiful waterfall called Watson Falls in a parking lot. And to get down into it, you know, we descend this 500 foot tall hill on pavement, just 40 miles an hour on mountain bikes. Cause we're just <laughs> And we're like sleep deprived and doing 40 miles an hour on mountain bikes. It's pretty wild. And so we fly into this TA and there's Jason, you know, clapping and cheering us on. And I was just like, I need to avoid Jason right now. I'm like, I, cause, cause I could see it. I, I could see it the whole time, you know, like I, I could see my anger and I could talk about it to Laban and my teammates and I could tell them what my judgments were. And I knew it wasn't like, it's like, you know, when I go to a paragliding race and like, the atmosphere is very turbulent. I'm like race directors. No, no, no. This is a dangerous fucking thing. I know it's dangerous. I decided to do it. It's like, I like dangerous things. Like all of those things, they're totally normal. Right. And if someone was in an adventure race and was like, Oh, I don't like Jason's adventure races. They're so dangerous. I'm like, well, it's just because you suck at adventure racing and you're a pussy, you know? And so like, I have that, I have that, like, I can see that. And so I can see my anger and I can also see it's not Jason's fault, right? It's my fault. I did it, right? Like I chose to go that way. I like convinced Laban of having us go that way. I like signed up for the adventure race in the first place. I paid a bunch of money. I spent a bunch of money on gear and doing all the things. I gave a month of my life and have trained my guts out to like make this whole thing go. Like it's not Jason's fault. I could see that too. But in the moment, I, di- I couldn't get away from the anger. And so the anger was in me. And so I just knew I just needed to avoid Jason. So I pull into the TA and we're like, you know, there's, there's race officials there who like are referees. And so at the end of the thing, for them to sign that you made it there, you have to like pull out your mandatory equipment that, to prove that you took your mandatory equipment, your, your bivy sack and your emergency blanket and your first aid kit and whatever else they check on any given transition area. Right. And so as we're doing that, Jason comes up to us and he's like, Oh my God, I was watching the tracker. And I was like, no, don't go that way. Why are you going that way guys? Oh, you're blowing it. Blah. And I was just like, mm. I was like, oh, you motherfucker. And, and like the, the, the official referee is standing there and Jason is like talking at Laban and I, and like, and Laban's like keeping it cool. And I was like, Jason, you're, your armchair navigation from here is really just like not that helpful. And the referee looks at me and he's like, you deserve to say that. <laughs> Cause he just saw this just like death march that the entire race just went on. Right. Like 26 teams, like one team went the other way. One team went the other way. Other teams got up into the snow, turned around, rode back to the TA said, we ain't doing that. Drive us around. Right. Like, forfeit their ranking or forfeit their like official time. They're like, we're not doing that. Like it's impossible. So it, 
it's a, you know, this is kind of at the heart of it. You know, one of the threads we've been pulling on here is like testing yourself in the outdoors. And there's so many ways that we do that. You know, like you set up a big high line or you set up, you know, you have a huge paragliding flight or um, these things that are experientially finite, you know, it'll end, you know, even if it's a two kilometer long slack line, you're like, it's only a couple hours that I'm going to endure this. You know, the paragliding flight eight hours at the most, you know, you know, a huge trail run or even if I can just like anything that we do in the outdoors, we are either resting or they just don't last that long. And so we're not testing ourselves in the really, really threadbare emotional state. We're not testing ourselves in this, like when shit gets really, really, really fucking hard and shitty, not just like hard, but like miserable, just swimming and suffering, right? Like, you know, Cedar Wright and Alex Honnold made the video Suffer Fest where they like ride their bikes between these climbs and like, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, and there's definitely suffering in that, right? Like there's definitely suffering in that, you know, Honnold is scared and Cedar can't feel his fingers and they're just like frozen on the side of the wall. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely suffering. But it's like somewhat finite compared to like five days. You're like, this is the second night of five nights. And we're just like, that's what we just went through. And so at that TA, we're basically like, I have managed expectations with Laban. I'm like, Laban, when I get to this TA, I'm not going to put my bike in the bike box immediately. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to dry my feet out. I'm going to rest and I'm going to eat first. He's like, okay. And so I do that and Jason is like 15 feet from me and he's talking to other people and he's like in his very excited state and he's like, oh, I was watching the tracker and I was like, why are you going this way, you guys? Oh, that's such a, oh, yeah, such a bad idea. Blah. And I was like, Jason, please go away from me. And he's like, no, I can't go away. I'm like, Jason, please, dude. Like, look, I just, I don't want to hear about it right now. And he was like, okay, I get it. And he like gave me some space. What was happening for Jason was that Jason was also not happy about that stage. And once he saw what was happening and once he saw how slow the trackers were moving and once he saw like the best teams in the world, like taking that route that he didn't know what it was like because he is a world-class navigator himself and had done the course and had gone a different way and didn't expect us to go that way he was afraid that that was going to end the race, right? It's possible. You can make a race so hard that it breaks everybody. You know, it's totally possible. Um, and Jason is the person who tries to ride that edge. You know, and he says it blatantly and over and over. He says, I'm not trying to make a course that you can come out and finish. I'm trying to make a course that only the top teams in the world can finish or you with the most persistence and grit that your soul can muster, right? Because he has been transformed and he has been created by these experiences. You know, their family is 
has been shaped by expedition racing. You know, they were in the Patagonian expedition race in first place with a couple hours lead and Jason's hip that had been having problems for a numbers, a number of years finally gave out. And so he's like, can't walk. And he's in the, just so deep in Patagonia and they just like lose their whole lead as everyone takes Jason's weight and he uses trekking poles as crutches and he just hobbles his ass out of the Patagonian wilderness into hip replacement surgery, you know, and then they get pregnant with twins. One of the twins dies just before birth. It explodes our entire community with grief. And two years later, they go back to Patagonia for the Patagonian expedition race. They conceive a child the night before the race and they win. So it's like the transformational power of expedition racing and how it can show you what's really inside of you in the darkest times is like, that's something that he's trying to help people have. Right. But like, And he sure helped me. <laughs> he sure helped me have it. <laughs> what I mentioned when you say that is, I, I think to the 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 Venn diagram of brinksmanship that you um, mm-hmm. that they think uh, that that you've uh, articulated very well, and you test that. One can test that on a on a day mission. You know, let's uh, we've got an objective. It's going to be eight hours. This is going to be this is going to be what I perceive to be my edge, or at least I'm going to get awareness of it. Mm-hmm. In an expedition race, you're going way outside of your own awareness. It's, we, we talked about the, the chasm going, going into the void before we started recording, and that you're, you're diving into a void in an expedition race, aren't you? Yeah, because you don't know exactly what you're doing. You're not, you're not the person. You haven't seen the maps. And, and they've, you know... They told us, you know, initially it was like, yeah, there's a 310 mile course with 40,000 feet of vert. It's like, okay, that's ballpark big, but you don't know exactly what the breakdown is, what the conditions are going to be. And that's the thing, like the weather threw a wrench in the spokes of this whole organization and everybody's experience that we just could have never planned for. Right. Because Jason and I were talking the other day that if we went and did that course in a month when it's all dried out, oh, it's a completely different experience completely a different experience so yeah you don't know exactly what you're signing up for and you're really like kind of signing up for the race director's thing right which is why jason puts on some of the coolest races in the world you know like chelsea and dan in october last year went and did the world championships of adventure racing in spain and it was like the first track was like 15 miles on roads and people are like why fuck are we running on roads for like where's the take us into the woods and so if that was me like i would just like lose my motivation i'm like this is stupid like we're just running past people's houses like this is not wilderness why am i carrying food on my back you know it's like we're in civilization but these wilderness races are a different thing and the aesthetic is so cool but you know soon after that interaction i had with jason when i asked him to go away 
we had a, a nap and then we had a team meeting and the team meeting marissa and timmy were adamantly quitting they're not going on they both had a, their own transformational experience where that experience clarified for them their priorities and expedition racing was not their priority and that race was not their priority they had both said yes to laban and i because they knew that it was important to us and they wanted to like contribute and go along and have a cool thing and the whole thing sounded pretty cool but once the death march was there and then the next stages were like it was gonna get crazier we were gonna go to nine thousand feet we're going up and over mount bailey on a 30 mile trek and then after that we were gonna go on a 25 mile trek so basically like after the bike ride we're gonna like walk through the snow for 50 miles they're like we're fucking out and as much as Laban and I wish they weren't, we also like couldn't really blame them. We're like, yeah, that totally sucked. So what we decided to do was there was like this little sub. There was like this little checkpoint inside the TA where we had to walk up to the waterfall and like go behind this hundred foot tall waterfall to go get a medallion out of a treasure box. And so we walked up there and I hadn't really managed my anti-inflammatories in the TA. I basically got to the TA and collapsed. And so when I got up for my nap, like my fucking IT band was like stiff, like a board. And I walked up to the waterfall pretty easily, but I couldn't really walk down. Like I was slow, slow, slow walking down. And so when they quit, Laban and I had already made the plan. We're like, okay, guys, like you guys are quitting. That's fine. Laban and I, we're going to continue. Um, but then walking down, Laban was like, dude, we can't like, not the two of us. Cause there's four people. You can really like one person has an injury and the three people divide up their weight and they take their pack. And like, if you're really hurt and you're like fully limping, like two people can be your crutches and you can like get out of places. Right. But like with one other person, it's just way more dangerous. And just because you have two less people doesn't mean you have that much less mandatory equipment. You still got to carry the bothy bag. You still got to carry like all this other stuff. And so it was just, it became obvious that it was like not smart for us to go out on those treks. And so we had a really just gut wrenching, just like have to drop out of the race. And we cried and it was super hard because like I said, like, you know, Dan and Jason are there. My two best friends are there. And and we just like, we don't want to give up on this thing. And like the experience that we were looking for is like this deep teamwork where we push through what's really hard and we keep going. And that's just like that dream is exploding in front of our eyes. But it wasn't totally over. Those guys left. Uh, Timmy's wife drove Marissa's truck out and came and picked him up. And so, like, so I don't know, they're just like in, uh, they got their sandals on and they're in the truck and they're off. So, Laban and I are there. We're kind of scheming. We're like, what do we do here? Like, 
And I was like, well, the bike wasn't really hurting me that much. Like the bike seemed to be, my knee seemed to be okay on the bike. So what if we just drive around and we get on, we skip these two trekking stages and we go to Crescent Lake and we just get on the bike. I'm like, all right, sweet. I'll see you. And because Laban was like, I'm not, I don't want to go home. And, and we really had no way to get around otherwise, but Dan was there and he was about to drive back to the neighborhood. So I jumped in with Dan and got a ride back to my car. And on Friday morning, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, and this is after, uh, so that was, so what day are we, where so you? that was Wednesday that we dropped out. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday night, we dropped out after like 50 hours racing. And then I got home at like 11 PM or something. And I went to bed and the next day I like refused. I didn't turn my cell phone on or anything. And I like just only ate and drank and slept. I napped for six hours through the day and then another big night of sleep. And then I woke up. So I've had two nights of sleep and a huge day of rest. And my knee is like the second day, like after the first night of sleep, like I literally like kind of barely put weight on it. Like I have an injury. <laughs> and the second day it was like a little bit better. And then the third morning it was, a, it was, it was a little bit better. It had been healing pretty quickly. It was like, Oh, thanks for not, you know, like, you stop walking 50 miles on this thing a day. And it's like, it feels a lot better. So I meet out at Crescent Lake and when I get there, team bend racing is there. And they're just like, Oh, Ari, we like, we dropped out of the race. We had this horrible Epic on the second track, you know, like 40 miles into the 50 miles of trekking Lars, who's like one of the best adventure racers in the world, like became very hypothermic and like wanted to take his clothes off and like became just like started speaking Danish, right? Just like only Danish. And they were like, fuck, this is bad. You know, and their other teammate is like a fire captain in Canada. And he's like, oh no, this is like push the help button on the spot. We need to like call Jason right now. And like they called Jason and they were like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna bivy right here where we are. Come help us. And Jason's like, do not sit down keep moving. You have to go this way. We see you on the tracker. This is the direction you need to go, go down this road, like keep moving. And Jason started making all kinds of fart and poop and butt and sex jokes and got him laughing and kept him going. And, and soon enough, they get out to the road and the the medic like meets him there. And like, yeah, Lars is like, like the footage of Lars. He's just like absent. He's just like gone. And this guy is like, I, (laughs) this guy is like iron. This guy is like iron right? Like Lars is like as tough as they come. He's like as good of a venture racer as is out there. And he's so experienced. He's been doing it for like 20 years and he's just like gone absent. And like all the whole team is just like, they're, they just so fucked, man. They just like, cause they pushed it so hard. Like they didn't sleep and they were like, you know, I don't know, maybe they had slept an hour or something, an hour and a half in the first 72 hours. And they were just pushing and pushing and pushing. So they broke. So it was serendipitous because they needed a ride. And I just driven my car there and they were staying in my house. So they took the car and Laban and I got on the bikes and we were in for a 75 mile ride and it was really beautiful and it was nice. And my knee was not healed. I was still injured. I was having to be very careful, like mounting and unmounting my bike. Um, in the middle of this bike ride, there was a, an orienteering course. 
which is on this little butte called Moffat Butte. It's a, big, it's a piece of tuff that comes out of the, out of the ground. And Jason had set up a Highline. Um, I met Jason Highlining, actually. Jason and Chelsea were the people who introduced me to Highlining. And so Jason was like, oh, Ari, you're doing the race. We're going to set up a Highline for you. And, and sure enough, I got to the Highline, which everyone else uses a, as a Tyrolean, right? And when I got there, I just like stood up on the so highline. That means like harness and pulley. What do you mean by Tyrolean? Yeah. So like a Tyrolean traverse is a technique in climbing for years and years, usually two ropes and like you've been just using a carabiner, a locking carabiner, just clip onto the ropes and just like sliding yourself across two ropes that's suspended between two points. That's a Tyrolean traverse. So this was actually flat webbing rigged really tight so it's easy to roll across, but it's difficult to walk. And like, I'm injured and I'm like hobble up there. But like the moment I stand up on the high line, like my body feels perfect. I'm like 72 hours into this damn thing. Like, and I just felt fucking fine. And so I walked like three laps on it and I did exposure turns and I was just like cheeky for the camera. And it was like, it was a moment of reprieve. Um, but the whole time I'm hiking around, I'm using trekking poles as like crutches and like being very mindful of my posture and very mindful of my gait. Um, and at this point, we're back like with the leaders too, because we've like skipped ahead. We've used cars and we've caught the leaders. So now we're, we're with the number two team in the world that I forgot their names of earlier. It's Vitaraid. And they are so fucked because they've been pushing so hard they have not slept at all and this is like 72 hours into the race they haven't slept and they are just like blank and they're walking in circles and they're like and we're like standing right by the checkpoint and they can't find it because the flag's not there and so there's this protocol if the flag is like blown away then we have you know they put these other like little markings in the trees so you can see like where it was and it was like so obvious that we were totally at the spot and they're like walking around and just like going in circles and Mary Chandler there, the woman on their team looks at Laban and she says, my guys are so fucked. <laughs> and so, so it's, it's cool, you know, for the rest of the race, we were with the leaders, um, cause we had rested and, <laughs> but you know, after that it was a big bike ride and then a huge trek through the lava, through these beautiful lava fields like full on lava fields, like inhospitable place to walk, very crumbly, very sharp, like, but really cool, you know, with trees growing out of the middle of them, incredibly beautiful. And it ended with this big pack raft, like at 20 miles downstream, like we had to portage a number of class five rapids and a waterfall. And, and then we ran, you know, Laban and I like chose to run the the lower part of all these waterfalls are like class three plus. And I was like, Laban, come on, we like, we can run it, dude. <laughs> so sure enough, we were like portaging around the waterfall and then putting in where normally people are like walking around the entire rapid and going from flat water to flat water. Um, so we kept it exciting and ended up finishing at 9 PM that Saturday night after a 33 hour push. So we did basically like a 50, a 50 hour push and then a yeah like a 35 33 hour push damn and how, and how was that knee on the second second shot so you said you did do some trekking on it i did a ton of trekking on it 
and it was just painful the whole way. And I was having to take so much ibuprofen and acetaminophen to keep my body on trail, like to keep myself from being in so much pain that I couldn't walk. I was just having to gobble painkillers. And you said your inflammation management wasn't that great first time around. Like, could you have actually done anything differently or is it, would it have just stopped it from seizing up a little bit more? Like, no, exactly. understand inflammation management well. Well, this is like an injury, you know? So it's like, if you get an injury and you immediately eat six ibuprofen and then four hours later, another six ibuprofen, you can like keep that thing limping along without your body going into the full inflammation response that resting will let it go into, right? So if I came into that transition area and took four ibuprofen and and two hours later took four more and then two hours later took four more, then we would have walked out of that transition area. I would have had a stiff knee and I would have been like, it would have been stiff initially, but I think I probably would have warmed up and maybe we would have gone on those treks. And maybe that would have been a horrible idea because we would have like, I would have gotten to 9,000 feet and not been able to walk down the fucking volcano that we were scheduled to go over. So at any rate, I think we made the best decision for what we had going on in our team and our bodies and our hearts and, and I'm just so glad that we got back on trail. I'm so glad I got to walk the high line. That was something I was so looking forward to. And I'm so glad that we got to cross the finish line together. Uh, Laban is just such an inspiration for me. He's such a good man and like so good to his family and his wife and his daughter and his community. And he's just calm and cool and he makes his own decisions. And that's just something that I just like have perpetually struggled with. Right like FOMO or like, what are other people doing? Like, which, you know, like, which so many of us do, right? Like, we're just like a social creature. We're looking to other people to like make sense of the world. And, and Laban does that, but he also has a really grounded sense of what his own thing is. And so it was so nice to cross the finish line and his wife and children were there and Jason and Chelsea were there. And, and, and it was, yeah, it was really it was so nice to be able to complete it amidst so much pain and so much like, you know, it was so hard. Like it's a, it was an unexpected challenge. Like we knew we were going to have physical challenge and navigational challenge and sleep challenge and physical challenge and all these things. But what I didn't expect, or I didn't, expect as much as I should have because I didn't prepare for it as much as I should have and I could have was that I would have deep team dynamic challenges that my team would quit right that the team would break apart that I would be injured that I would be deeply disappointed that I would be angry that I would be frustrated right like the depth of the emotional experience that I had I couldn't quite have, I didn't, I didn't expect, right? And so to be able to cross the finish line after having the physical challenges, as well as like the really deeply emotional things, and also to have such a crazy amount of time and monotonous movement to process, it was a really uh, a pretty special thing. Um, you know, I'm, still sick. I'm still hurt and I'm still not a hundred percent. And 
I've had my heart rate over 160 twice since then, which sucks. Um, you know, exercise has been such a big part of my emotional management and integration for so long that it's hard to sit still. Um, but that challenge has shown me other things, you know? So all in all, it was a transformational experience for sure. I saw some deep, dark places and I also saw how strong I am. Like, I'm just so incredibly strong. Like my body is just like, it's crazy how my body can walk or ride until it's just a fucking husk. And not to mention like as a husk, I can walk a high line, <laughs> you know, and look at a map and like find the, and like navigate and um, be a part of a team. And it was so good. So I'm so strong and I'm so resilient. And that was such a nice reminder and such a beautiful thing to see. Um, you got one hell of a story out of it. That's for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a story. Yeah. It's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, like by a scale of magnitude. And I think I underestimated just how hard it would be. And, you know, like I said, the emotional exertion was bigger than I imagined also. And you said it was three weeks ago. Coming tomorrow up will on, be a month. Tomorrow will be a month. Today's and Friday, right? Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Saturday, 9 p.m. will be one month since I finished. Since, wow. And, and so from my very uh, toned down experience of adventures, I, I almost feel like there's, there's two different elements of not being able to exercise. There's one of being injured and being like, this sucks. And then there's another of being, uh, in recovery from an adventure and, and you feel like a, a warrior back from battle and you're like, man, I am toast, but that was one oh, hell yeah. of a, a testing <clears throat> ground. Are, are you like oscillating between those two or what's that balance in the last month? What has that been like? Oh <clears throat> yeah. So typically I'll go even at just, even after just a hard workout, right. You feel this like, deliciously wrecked you know you're worn you're exercised you're tired you've made yourself tired you got the endorphins it feels great the next day you're sore feels great i earned that you're like run a calorie deficit and you can eat whatever the fuck you want for three days i love that okay but when you like catch up with your calorie deficit after four or five days of just shoveling and you've been sleeping and resting and doing nothing for four or five days and the fatigue and the brain fog and the soreness and the injury is all still there. And then five days later, it's still fucking there. And then five days later, it's still there. And you're like, like, wow. Like, so the deliciousness and the energy. And I actually, it's interesting because in, as the race finished, the energy of like finishing the race and the energy of the excitement, the award ceremony and meeting all the racers and getting to talk and, and 
and like the deepest exhaustion I had ever experienced, plus this like energy of finishing this thing, it kind of like screwed up my rest. So I wasn't able to go down as hard as I really needed to initially. Like when I came back in the middle of the race and I had that night sleep and then the six hour nap the next day, like I was just like, I could just sleep. I was just like sleeping and sleeping and sleeping and it was working, but then I got done and everyone was back in the neighborhood and the neighborhood was full and and, and like lots of energy and team bend racing was here at my house. I was like, I just couldn't quite go down as hard as I really needed to initially. And I think that's drawn out my recovery time. Um, I also just like in my depletion got sick, like 20 days into my recovery. It really sucked. Um, and now I have a sore throat and the neighbors tested positive for COVID yesterday. So we're, we're still in this recovery, low immunity recovery thing. So, um, but yeah, the deliciousness of, of being tired and knowing that you earned it went away pretty quickly. And then I was like, Oh no, I'm just fucked. And I'm just like stuck in this thing. And it was a, I mean, honestly, that's a battle with my own expectations, right? Like I was expecting a week of like physical exhaustion. I could have understood 10 days of it, but like after two, two weeks of just like, like a crushing fatigue that took all my, like no creative energy, no nothing, just like loneliness, <laughs> like just like loneliness and kind of just like disappointment and my expectations being harshly managed by the universe. It was like, yeah. Well, I'm trying to like put a frame to like compare it to in terms of it being, let's say, like a an initiation of or a a, a rite of passage of some kind. Remember, I, I before we recorded, I was talking about the uh, mapping altered states of consciousness or or peak experiences across a, a graph uh-huh. but you almost can't map this one on there. there there's some deep amount of wisdom or some showing of yourself in that experience and then a lot of integration by the sounds of it yeah it's just um the x-axis of this particular graph is really really long the experience itself is just really, really long, you know? Um, so the integration is really long. The recovery is really long. The integration has been really long. What do you think you think of this experience a year from now? I don't know. That's hard to say. I am not sure. I've kind of oscillated back and forth between thinking, yeah, that's stupid. I'll never do that again. I don't want to go through that again to being like, I think I could have done that better, you know? And like with a team, you know, my experience would have been very different if I was like, um, and that's not to say better. I don't want to say that like, I wished I had a different experience because I needed what I got. Right. Like it showed me all kinds of things about leadership. It showed me all kinds of things about communication, the things that I had in the back of my head that I was worried about of like, Hey, what, what we need to talk about quitting. Cause I told my team, I was like, look guys, the chance that I like get broken. And I just tell you straight up that I want to quit and I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm probably going to say that. And I need you to give me a hug. And I need you to feed me. And I need you to fucking tie a rope around my waist and drag me. Okay. Cause I ain't quit. I ain't quitting. 
All right. But I need to say, hey, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do when you say you quit? Right. Like, because typically the rule in adventure racing is every everybody can quit. But from the time you say, seriously, guys, like I need to talk because I quit, you have to race for 24 hours. You have to keep going for 24 more hours. And 24 hours from then, then you get to decide if you actually quit or not. But, and that's just because experienced adventure racers know that you're on a fucking roller coaster that's going to go to the highest highs and the lowest lows and maybe never back up to a high. You might just have a really low low and then be okay and then go to a really low low and then be okay again and then be really low, you know? So you might actually never be high again. You might just be okay and have recovered from a deep despair. And so, but you won't quit and okay. So we got to give it to 24 hours. So um, there's all kinds of things I needed to talk about and needed to communicate about, you know, because I, at the end of the day, I kind of did put the team together. It was kind of my idea. I kind of contacted everyone. I was like, Hey guys, let's do this. Like, um, that was the only way that I was the captain. <laughs> in the only way in any sense that I was actually the captain because <laughs> everyone got frustrated with me that I wasn't forwarding the emails from the race organization, which was hysterical. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I got what I, I got what I needed apparently. Um, but in a year, I'm not sure if I will have done another one of these or will want to do another one of these mm-hmm. into the end of July. There's a 30 hour race that I'm looking to do, which is a very different thing. 30 hours you can i think that's going to be my jumping off point i i like uh i i, I very you gotta much start even lower than void. that okay you yeah. gotta you gotta start at the six hour race but i mean I, yeah i like I, i've done six hour adventures i guess that's a good place to start in terms of turning it into a race but in terms of uh hey there's something to say about uh like a six hour race i've got n- no concern that i could could finish that i'm doing a, a like a 50k uh alpine race in in september and there's 3500 meters of, of vertical elevation get in that that's probably going to be an 11 hour run or something based on that vertical elevation i'm not sure anyway a 30 hour has that i honestly don't know if i can do that and no, an totally. 11 to 8 hour has that i i'm pretty confident i can do it it's going to be shitty it's going to be big but yeah yeah yeah, there's a void. About- there's more of a void in a 30 hour for me than a than a six hour. Yeah, because you start fucking with your circadian rhythm, right? Start in the morning, go all day, super hard, like you're used to going, and then go all evening, and then the sunset. You're like, oh, it's beautiful sunset, and then like three hours later, it's midnight and it's cold and it's dark and you're lost, and you're not used to dealing with your morale in that situation. Oh man. Oh yeah. It gets real. Shit gets real when you start going overnight. And then when you go overnight, multiple nights and you're not resting, you're like pushing through the night all night. It's like, yeah, (laughs) it's it's crazy. There's fucking monsters out there, man. And they're in your head, but they're real. So so one more question. Um, If we imagine this to be a certain flavor of void or a certain arena where there is a void that you enter into, if we're talking about the transformation that comes from adventure, uh-huh. I'm curious how you would describe this particular arena compared to, let's say the arena of base jumping paragliding. Cause there's very much a void there uh-huh. that you've Absolutely. got to confront an Absolutely. arena. 
Mm, that's a great question. And I so appreciate you like staying connected to the thread here. Super helpful. And I've really wanted to record this podcast about this race and I just haven't had the motivation. And so you reaching out to me is really, I'm so grateful because this is like, uh, you know, I'll feature this on my channel as well. And this is like the, this is the episode. I knew that I could only tell the rate, the, the story with it this type of energy, I could only do it once or twice. So I'm so grateful that you got to be a part of it and that you've uh, been such a motivating force for this. The question, the difference of the arena between an expedition race and a base jump, a paragliding flight. It's a great question. The first thing I would say is that I, I've only done one expedition race and I didn't complete it. Um, I did have a, a pretty profound experience there and a powerful one and a transformative one, but I know that there's lessons and there are there's texture to the arena of expedition racing that I haven't yet grasped, okay? So I just want to preface it there because I know that my neighborhood is going to listen to this recording. <laughs> so I just want to just let them know that I am still quite humbled by the sport that they are so good at. And I am uh, in awe of their aptitude in it. You know, as my best friend, Dan, just one expedition Canada by 13 hours, you know, beat the next best team by 13 hours and just like incredible navigation and just crushed it. They finished in 76 hours. He slept for two. So it's like this, these people are the real deal. And so I have my hats off to their um, dedication in such a difficult sport and, they know the arena a lot better than I do, but I would say there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things. One of the things we've been talking about this whole time is the duration, the duration. And this is just, you know, if we think about rites of passage, if we think about ancient tribes and how they made rites of passage. The first thing that they needed to have was a disruptor. And the disruptor was often exertion, right? That you had to like walk for so long or exposure that you just had to be out in the sun, in the hot Sonoran desert sun or pain where like the Amazonians like made their adolescent males put their hands in the mitts full of bullet ants um, or psychedelics, right? Where you had to eat fucking eight peyote caps and all these different things are a disruptor. So the disruptor for expedition racing is a number of those all together because one, exposure, got it. Two, exertion, times a million. Three, pain, good luck going through an expedition race without pain. Four, psychedelics, sleep deprivation is a hell of a drug. I'll tell you that right now. It's crazy. Um, so there's a lot of disruptors. So as far as the power for expedition racing to have transformative impact on you, it has a lot of the disruptors. There is this thing though, that I noticed that you can kind of have too much of all of it and you just become a fucking shell. 
and you just become a zombie. And I was a zombie at points and I was a reverent transforming butterfly at other points. Right. But there were times where I was just like this, like there's no, there's no transformation available here. I'm just like, I'm in it. I'm just one foot in front of the other. Right. And then that becomes fodder for the transformation later. Because now I look back at that. I'm like the times I was so exhausted and I was totally fucked, kept moving. Just stuck with it, kept moving. I was a total zombie back there. You remember that? I was out of it. I was still walking. My knee was in a lot of pain, still walking. I was like, oh, wow. I, like, and there's almost like a faith in my body there. You know, and Daniel had told me that years ago. He's like, oh, like every person is capable of walking until their body is just a husk. You know, there's an animal inside of us that we cover up with the social imaginary, right? Civilization, we coat, we coat ourselves in civilization, but like at the end of the day, you're an animal and like your body will just walk and walk and walk and walk until it dies. And it's incredible. It's fucking incredible. So there's a scene of that. That's like, that was a beautiful lesson. So those things are, are some of the texture of the arena here. There's another thing. That's the duration. There is a physicality to it. And I think I kind of just touched on it there, you know, because it blends in with the, with the duration. It's directly related to it. There's a physicality to expedition racing that base jumping doesn't have any of, right? Not necessarily. I mean, there's guys that do these big, you know, Baffin Island, huge, you know, seven, 8,000 vert climbs every day and jump off the top of Mount Thor, but um, it still doesn't quite get to the point of like doing that for five days in a row without sleeping. The There's inertia that has to be overcome. Like the, I, I'm just imagining the, the myth of Cepheus, of, of the, that boulder that you've got to push up for days on end. It is definitely rolling a boulder uphill. That is for sure. Um, and yeah, there is an inertia. There is so many things that you have to fight against your brain and your body. And there's parts of it that are just so incredibly unhealthy. Like it's just so bad for your brain to not sleep for five days. Like it's just objectively bad for your brain. And it's like, it's not great for your body to not rest, you know, like all of your joints, all of the things that just like need to build back up. Like they don't, they don't have time to build back up. You just do five days of damage without any of the, you just kind of dig yourself into a physical hole. It's not that it's not that healthy of a thing to do. Um, and so for those reasons, I, I, I question my future involvement in it because you do have to, you literally have to just take the signals of your body and say, no, uh, uh, we got to, we keep going. And you really like, it's almost interesting. You put yourself into that animalistic mode. You put that yourself into that mode of like, no, there's no, there's no quitting. There's no stopping. There's no fucking pain. Pain is like temporary. Here we go. Keep going, keep going, keep going, which is really kind of interesting and beautiful almost that's like oh that that animal like i can wake that animal up with an arbitrary thing such an arbitrary thing is a race i paid all the money to do you know <laughs> like it's totally arbitrary i didn't need like 
a lion chasing after me to like feel my animal. So I'm connected to my physical nature. I'm connected to my animal. Um, and, you know, when I think about paragliding, and I think about base jumping, you know, there's this level of intensity that it has. But there's some intense moments in an expedition race. You know, that moment where I saw those fucking lights walk in the opposite way. The intensity of emotion there was, that was huge. The intensity of emotion I had when I was just like fuming out my ear steam with the anger at the end of the death march, like that was incredibly intense. Not to mention like running tandem pack rafts down class three plus whitewater, like it was real. And also like sleep deprived 40 miles an hour on a mountain bike or like sleep deprived and like single track downhill mountain biking. Like, yeah, it's pretty, there's some like moments there for sure. So, but then there's also this, you know, one of the lessons that I never thought I would learn is like how to deal with myself resting for as, for longer than I want to. It's almost like an injury, really. It's like, it's almost injured me, right? It's like stopped me from doing what I want to do, how I want to do it. And I've had to like, slow down and I've had to deal with myself in kind of a quiet, disappointed, sad and frustrated way, lonely. It's been really interesting. That's like, that's like a lesson I didn't think I was going to get from the expedition race. Different kind of adventure, isn't it? You can, <laughs> you can almost put it as an adventure. Of yeah. like, let's just sit as a wounded animal, lonely yeah. for days on end. Yeah, it's really hard for a person like me that I just derive so much of my identity from the things that I do every day. You know? So it's that that thread has gone pretty deep in this whole thing. And it's been a it's been a crazy time in my relationships and I, it's brought a lot of clarity, honestly. It's brought a lot of painful clarity. Um, which is better than blissful delusion, but still it's painful. Um, so I'm coming out of the other side of it feeling more clear and pretty resilient and pretty strong and pretty ready for my life. Um, and I've had some really hard conversations recently and I feel pretty empowered to keep having those and being able to face the hard things. Um, so I would, I would say that like to, to, to close the circle here, the arena of expedition racing is defined by challenge and it's just the most intense long and unexpected challenge and just like all the things we go outside to challenge ourselves in this just has a lot of them for a long time on a deep level permeate your emotions, your psyche, your identity, your expectations, and your physicality all the way down to the deepest part of your animal. So for those reasons, I think it's a really high level activity for only the most adventurous people on the planet. Because if you're not really, really, really motivated, it will just break you and you'll quit. To finish one of these things is just crazy 
four teams, four of 26 teams finished the course. Wow. <laughs> like completed the actual course. So just goes to show. I, I just wanted to resurface that line about having painful clarity over blissful delusion. Mm-hmm. I feel like it takes, that's the, that's the difficult path for sure. I think there's many people, some consciously, most unconsciously, choosing blissful delusion over painful clarity every single day. Okay, well, I'll, I'll even get even sharper on it to say that each of us choose it every day. There's only so much painful clarity we can take. <laughs> So that is to, that's just to, that's just to admit that your your shadow is not just made of the things that you won't look at it's made of the things you can't even see you don't even have the capacity to see the parts of your shadow that you can't see yet that's why they're your shadow mm. that's so true so and and when you have the right framing on it 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 shouldn't be this shameful thing it's like the shameful thing that you're like, won't look at. You're like, no, no, I like, I want to look at the things I can look at. And I also know that there's things I can't look at yet. Like not because I'm not strong enough. Like there are things I'm not strong enough to do. There's also things I just like don't have the vision yet to see. I haven't related to the right person that takes that out of me and brings it to the surface enough that it becomes so obvious that, that they see it and they point it out to me and I deny it and then they point it out to me and I break up with them and the next person points it out and I deny it and I deny it and I deny it and once I'm homeless, then I see it. Like, I haven't been down that path yet. So there's things I can't see yet. But that is to say, because I guess I'm pushing back on what I heard you say was that there are people who live in blissful delusion and i say yeah yeah, we all have a bit of that we all have a bit of that to be out of that is like enlightenment right to like lose all of the delusion that's enlightenment so we all have it and it's like just like we only have a certain capacity every day to be adventurous because adventure is the unknown and we can we only have a certain budget for the unknown in our lives right we have to have a certain amount of stability consistency and predictability in our lives. We only have a certain budget for seeing our shadow, for looking at hard shit, for having hard conversations, for dealing with painful clarity, for burning away our blissful delusion. We only have so much of that. And it comes in waves, right? Like you build up the courage and in two weeks you'll have a bunch of hard conversations and you'll fucking leave the old relationship and you'll start doing the thing or you have a breakthrough in therapy and you're willing to talk about the thing that you initially came into therapy to talk about or like whatever it is, you know, like it doesn't all just like, because what I, what I'm pushing back on here is that let's just say that painful clarity is better than blissful delusion. We, I think we can both agree on that. But then if you take productivity culture and the new age spirituality and you overlay those two, you make something completely toxic, I would say. Because p- 
painful clarity is better than blissful delusion. But if you then take the productivity culture and you put it onto that, then today, burn away all your delusions. Why are you living in blissful delusion? You lazy, unconscious white man. No, no, no. That's not how it, that's just not how it should be. It's another level of delusion framed as clarity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. So it's a, it's a tender, it's a tender thing. It takes time. And, and there's like, there's, you just, you can't, you don't just get to decide to like do it. You're like today, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see my shadow today. Okay. Where's the shadow flashlight? Bloop. Okay. Looked at it. Thanks. I got my therapist to sign me off. I'm, I leveled up. What? No, what? Shadows just move. The, you just don't get away from it. Like It's not something to get away from. Your delusion is not something to shame into non-existence or to see into non-existence. It's literally like when you point your flashlight at something else, you get a different shadow. Yeah. I love that metaphor. Yeah, that's a that was a deep spiritual tangent on on top of that. That's interesting. Honestly, that's a that's a koan I'm gonna sit with for a while. Am I choosing painful clarity or blissful delusion? What is yeah. the painful clarity or and the blissful delusion in this situation? Or in this frame. You can sit with that for a while. I'm going to sit with that. Yeah. Well, Ari, this has been an adventure in itself. <laughs> this has been an adventure. <laughs> I got to go. I, um, you're an incredible storyteller, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I really feel, feel grateful to, to, to been, able, been able to listen to this, this story and, and I'm really excited to share it. Ah, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm really glad that I had a partner to go down this uh, rabbit hole with who was keen on drawing out the nuance. Well, to wrap it up, where where can people find you? Yeah, I'm Ari in the Air on everything and AriInTheAir.com. That's where you can find my philosophical coaching and that kind of stuff. And yeah, follow me on Instagram. Beautiful. Okay, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that. If this episode makes you curious about adventure racing, then awesome. You should totally try it. Map and Compass Orienteering is so rewarding. And I would direct you over to bendracing.com where Jason and Chelsea put on all kinds of races from so many different lengths. They're not all this long. They're as short as four hours and they're as long as six days so <laughs> um and as always if you like this show consider supporting on patreon that's patreon.com slash airy in the air and leaving reviews and ratings on spotify and itunes super helpful so thanks so much for being here and we'll see you on the next episode